While it may be cold outside, things are getting toasty warm at Global Voice Broadcasting. Heat up your winter nights with the hottest topics, the hottest celebrities, and today's best music. It's why Global Voice Broadcasting is becoming your 24-7 home for the music and talk you want right now. Discover your favorite shows and music anytime at globalvoicebroadcasting.com. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin. A spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. I think in general we're so bombarded by choices and how we think romance should be that we often are too confused to take the action we need to be happy and get what we want. Haley Quinn, welcome back to Girl Boner Radio. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I'm so thrilled to have Haley Quinn, a spectacular life and love coach, in the studio with me today. Later in the show, Dr. Megan Fleming will join me to explore dwindling sexual desire and what to do about it and this awesome program that she has. It is such an important topic. First, we are going to explore another really exciting topic. Here's a little bit about Haley. Haley Quinn is a love and life coach, motivational speaker, and vlogger who has helped over 100,000 people find their love match. Her amazing YouTube channel that I've been addicted to the last couple of days has over 60,000 subscribers, and her biggest social experiment video uh, has clocked up 2.7 million hits. She also hosts two podcasts, Attraction HQ for Men and Love HQ for Women. Plus, she has a book in process of being published, and she recently did a TEDx talk, which I really hope I get a chance to see. Thank you so much for being here, Haley. How are you? Thank you for having me. So you're here from London. I am, as the accent tells, and I am also extremely jet-lagged. So if I say everything, my words come out in a funny order... We won't be why. We won't judge. We <laughs> Thank won't you. judge. We're so happy you could fit us into this tour that you're doing. Mm-hmm. It's so exciting. I'm such a fan of your work. I love your approach. It's very empowering. And yes. I feel like there's so much dating information out there. And it's so much rubbish is out there as well, or misinformation. And it's not even direct misinformation, right? It's just like you read something, there's actually a subtle bias in it, or something about how the information is being communicated delivers a message that is off point for people. Yeah. I've I've gotten that impression and that's why I love that you focus not only on debunking some of those mm-hmm. myths that are out there but also it's really everything that you share is about living a really good life, living authentically with ethics, standing yes. strong in yourself. And I think that when people see your videos, like when I first was checking out all your great stuff, it's very easy to think, you know, wow, she just was like born with a microphone in her hand. She was born with all this. And I know that you had a pretty humble beginning and went through a lot growing up. Um, Tell us how you got to this place, what your journey was like earlier. So it's been a long and weird journey. Um, I know it's funny, because especially because I think someone was telling me earlier, I've got like a BBC accent. And because of that, you assume some stuff about me. The truth is I grew up very poor in a very rural community in England. Both my parents were disabled. So I was out to work at 13 as a dishwasher. Um, And through that, I was also really identified as the awkward girl. You know, like I had bad clothes. I was a bit chubby. I was awkward, strange, bookwormish. And I didn't really identify as being like a strong and sexy woman. Instead, I was like an awkward, awkward girl. And that also gave me a benefit of not only feeling like an empathy towards all people, but also understanding what it feels like to be an outsider or feeling other to the dominant culture. Then when I went to university, I was reading about feminism and psychoanalysis, and I had a run-in with the pickup community, um, which I read about. I was like, oh my God, there's men out there that are teaching other men how to seduce women. I hate this stuff. Uh, And then after having that negative run-in, I was like, hell-bent on revenge, contacted a few of the guys that were characters in a very famous book, The Game. One thing led to another, not involving sex, and I became a blogger for some pickup artists. And that was my first writing gig when I left university and my first non-dishwashing job. Wow. That is so fascinating. I think I've heard about The Game. And Mm. if I am recalling right from other women who have dated men 
who have read, I think it's a book and a philosophy that basically right. it's some pretty demeaning behaviors, right? Completely. It's, but what it does is actually, there's, it followed on from a book called The Rules, which I'm sure we're like more aware of, right? Which is all about how there's guidelines for, you know, don't call him for I don't know how many days. And then if you hear the title, the game is the answer to the rules. It's like the male version of it. Um, and what it detailed was actually a writer called Neil Strauss and his travels through this, at that point in time, which is going back like 10, 15 years ago, quite an underground community of men who are teaching other men how to be good with meeting women. So for me, what I discovered is when I came into contact with it maybe five years ago, I was you know, the, one of the only women actively exploring and getting an insight into this male-dominated culture, which gave me an insight, yes, into some of the aspects of misogyny and misinformation that comes with that area but also it gave me some empathy to seeing that fundamentally there were a lot of guys that were engaging with this material and you know what they're engaging with it because they're respectful towards women probably too respectful so they couldn't feel they could be sexual and actually loads of them wanted to have a fulfilling relationship or to have intimacy in their lives like I met I've met many men who have never so much as held a woman's hand which to me feels like that feels like criminal so I got a really good understanding of what the position men were coming from as well from that and then it was after that that I thought hang on a second why are not more women learning about this stuff as well? Why aren't we developing empathy for what the understanding of guys? Why aren't we learning to develop social skills? Why is female dating advice boiling down a lot towards look attractive and turn up? Absolutely. Absolutely. What are some of the most common concerns or issues that women come to you with? Oh gosh, so many. Um the most the one the one question that will outrank all others from women is where have all the good men gone? Uh, I've heard that one too. Right. And literally, if I do a poll, that will come in four times more than any other question. But even in the question itself, if you listen to it carefully, there's biases that are in there, right? So mm -hmm. it's like it's like assuming that there was like some mythical time past. Like what's where a good man? Right. Yeah. yeah. First of all, what's a good man, right? So there's a, this this concept that's good or bad human beings, like the storybooks, right? And mm -hmm. it's your job is to find a good one. And unfortunately, you've chosen bad ones so far. Obviously, human nature is not black and white like that. People treat you how you give them permission to treat you. Also, there's lots of things that if you are attracting quite unquite bad people into your life, there's going to be things that you're actively doing. And believe me, I should know about it from the bad relationships I've been in. Like, there are things that you're doing. So that's that's one issue. The other one is to assume that at some point in the past, there was like a golden era or things were better. I think that maybe things were simpler in the past before we had mobile phone technology, before we were like less mobile, before women were more sexually liberated, before the gender roles were not so clearly defined. In some ways, I think that positive and negative that made that easier but it certainly doesn't mean that suddenly like men have disappeared men and women I find from all the people I speak to they both want intimacy they both want to meet people they want to form relationships it's just there's just plenty of things in our society which is preventing us from forming those connections so easily sure that's an excellent point do people talk to you about sexual issues when it comes to dating we've talked about a few different things one of the rules quote that I really dislike is Steve Harvey's 90-day rule, mm -hmm. which is basically tells, and it, it's worded this way, that women should withhold, like, give sex to oh, men no. after 90 days. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, get us started, right? But do you find that women have those questions? Because that's yes. been a really common... Completely, completely. Often people, women worry, like, it's like, should I have sex on the first date or the fourth date? You know, it's like there's right. all these parameters around it. Obviously, there's a. I think there's a real issue here with going back into the system, which is effectively like the dowry system, the feudal system, which is about a woman's sexual quote-unquote virtue, not virtue, or lack of sexual partners is exchanged like a currency. Mm. I think there's something that's very misaligned about that that really traps female sexuality. And to be honest, guys, it doesn't help the guys either. Because if a woman is slut-shamed or is she told that she can't have very many sexual partners and that devalues her, guess what? That means less sex for everyone so no one as far as I'm concerned is winning in this equation all that I would say is I think for both men and women unilat people unilaterally if your relationship goal is that you would like to form you know a long-term foreverish or partnership with someone maybe with the goal to have a, have a family 
in that sense, it takes, I think there's a lot of sense in taking time to get to know someone on every level, right? So like you maybe don't, I am like the worst person in the world for like jumping in with two feet into relationships. And that has not always served me. I actually think, you know what, having a coffee date or one or two dates a week, that's healthy, that's normal, that's good. But let's not get into bartering around sex or sexual partners. I love that. Bartering, I hadn't thought of it that way. And the whole having it as a currency, I think is so dangerous. And even having the rule, like you said, where it's like a certain number of anything, it turns the whole relationship into this like right, game. it's not very human, right? To yeah. put rules and numbers on stuff. It's like, well, no, it's it's about an emotional connection that you experience with someone. And we all know sometimes you meet someone and you feel, or you're in a, a headspace where you feel a bit more wary. And so you go, you go slower. And other times, you know what? You might be in a free and open and have fun state of mind. And you meet someone you're really attracted to. In that case, I've often regretted not jumping into sexual relationships. Actually, there's been a few kind of brief flings that I've passed by, probably because of this exact mindset mm. in the past which now as I'm getting a bit older, I'm like, why did I do that? (laughs) That would have been so much fun. Isn't that interesting? Uh I was a serial monogamist. Uh I grew up in Minnesota, which is a very Midwestern uh, family values type place that has Mm -hmm. more traditional type values than than LA does. And I was kind of raised that whoever you have sex with is the person you marry. Hopefully you marry them first. Mm-hmm. You, you know, most of my relatives have had one relationship and it right. lasts and lasts. And uh, I went a very different path, traveled all over. And by the time I ended up in L.A., I was newly divorced from a very, very early marriage. And I had this sense. I, it struck me one day. I can't believe I can go out and have casual sex. Like it hadn't dawned on me that that was a thing. And one thing that was interesting about that, that for me was once I realized that I must have had in my mind this idea, this belief that we perpetuate in our culture that guys just want these casual relationships Mm. and women want the full thing. And so I learned the hard way that you can really hurt somebody by jumping into a sexual, you know, one night stand or a fling or something when they think a guy thinking that this is going to be something lasting. And I'm curious, how do you approach that? Like if you meet someone who's really fun and you're like in that fun space, I just want to have sex and play and blah, blah, blah. How do you know or should you how do you bring that up? Right. I think that's a really amazing point that you made because I think often we assume as people, right? We just, we assume what the other person wants, you know, whether it's, you know, I'm saying this a lot to my guys as well, my male clients, when they're in a more like open zone, they're like, oh, what do I don't want to hurt the woman? I'm like, well, don't assume that the woman wants marriage and babies and you want to have loads of sexual partners. I actually think it goes completely both ways. It's just a stage in your life thing. I think whatever the stage in your life is, there's no right or wrong about how many sexual partners for however long you want to have. The point and point here, I always believe, is honesty and transparency so that you can attract people that are in the same, you know, that want the same things as you so that no one gets hurt. And actually, at the time when you meet someone, that's a great time to bring something up because at this point, no one's emotionally involved. You know, if you're already hooking up, you've been hanging out for a long period of time, this is when it's going to really start to suck if you figure out that you're not on the same page. Right at the beginning, you can actually just make a statement about what headspace you're in and who you are. And it's not even a reflection, it doesn't even relate to them at that stage. So you could say either, you know, like, um, you could say, uh, you know, I'm just like, I'm really enjoying having fun. I'm in a really experience orientated frame of mind. I think you're really sexy. Let's hang out. Like, you know, I can't really imagine being with someone right now. I'm just interested in exploring. And at this point, it's not personal. It's not about the other person. It's a statement about yourself that you can take ownership of. And often what you're looking for is you want someone to either echo the same sentiments back to you, or at this point, you almost create a permission in the conversation where they should feel more comfortable to open up. I love that. That makes so much sense because if you're virtually strangers, it's not like someone's going to have their heart crushed. Right. And I, I'm actually kind of like saying the opposite now because I've kind of gone through a phase in my life where I'm like, I actually want I want to have a family and a serious relationship if possible. Don't know if it will happen because uh, of some stuff that happened to me over the past uh, past year. And so now I am going right in there for date one. I'm not holding back. I'm like, you know what? It's like, oh, you know, I lo- so I love babies. I want to have a family and I'm in a really like focused frame of mind. I've you know, I've done some crazy stuff in the past, but really I'm looking to build something strong and solid with someone. And I just say it and I'm like, you know what? If you get stuff and walks out, it doesn't call. 
I don't mind. And then also I know in good faith, I have been completely transparent. So then if I find if the guy has been messing around or he has not been very honest, then I've gone, okay, it's not, I've done due diligence. I've done my side of things. And if he's chosen to ignore that or mislead, then he's not a good person, you know? And it makes everything a lot more transparent. I think even if the other person doesn't chime into the same effect, from your side, you can feel, wow, I really took ownership of that. I was in control. I expressed what I wanted. And in fact, sometimes that ownership is the thing that men and women struggle with a lot. I love that. Transparency. And it's so important. And it's also, I feel like, in my own experience, and friends of mine have had experiences where a lack of transparency on one side ends up being such a red flag later mm-hmm. looking back where, for example, someone's trying to get to know you and maybe they're more of a controlling person They can use that and you didn't realize looking back, oh, I shared everything about me mm-hmm. and, you know. Yeah, mystery I don't think is a very good quality actually, <laughs> you know, and you can really yeah. notice it as well. Like, I always think I had a really interesting conversation actually with one of the guys from the game, a guy called Ross Jeffries, who's a master hypnotist and not the sort of person you'd necessarily expect me getting on with. But I'd, I have some really fascinating conversations with him and a little pearl of wisdom he gave me on Monday night when we were having dinner is people hide or more able to hide the big obvious traits about who they are you know what I mean they can be kind of deceptive but there's always little tells there's small tells about what a person is about and what their true nature is that if you get switched on and it's not in a blaming way like oh my god they're an evil person it's just that you recognize there's something in them that are not ready for that intimacy they're not able to give you what you want and very graciously you just let it go and you back away and actually when we really listen to people and we really observe people we don't get surprised as much and a big thing that I also hear from women is he was perfect for the first X amount of time and then he was terrible. He's changed. He hasn't changed. You've got to know him better and actually reality is caught up with whatever story or vision that you crossed onto in your head. Ah, I love that. So true. What role does instinct play in all this? Because I feel like that's another thing Mm -hmm. where he seemed perfect but then when you really look sometimes there was like this gut feeling and we talk ourselves right. out of it do you see that absolutely all the time and I actually feel like I'm going to be a bit sexist now and I think this is a girl a woman thing I think we are creatures of instinct and intuition very naturally we're great communicators I think a little example of this for instance is if you watch a school playground so the guys or the boys will be playing soccer or football or something and they'll go like what are the girls doing they're just sat around and in fact they're not just sat around they're talking and they're communicating and they're learning this art of conversation I think we're very sensitive to picking up on little clues and the thing is you're so right we often listen ignore that voice of our intuition and as Jung would say when you ignore your intuition it will manifest in your life as fate so when you don't see it it will just appear around Mm. you Um, And for myself personally, if I sit down and I have that quiet moment when I'm dating someone and I really have time to reflect, I'll know it all. Like, I'll know the whole freaking story about what's going on. But because I kind of want and I wish, then I disregard the knowledge that's in there. And in fact, if you step into the knowledge, then you move into a position of power to deal with the relationship effectively. Ah, I love that. And that that idea of it becoming your fate, that makes so much sense. Right. You know, it's not like that just came out of nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it sometimes feels that way, but you're so right, it doesn't. And the other thing I also find is what I really advocate now, though I'm a bit like shell-shocked and jaded and wiser, is honestly that apart from like when you want to date, the first thing you want to do is go out on a date every single night of the week and you're like right I'm on the sun search I'm looking for someone now I think the problem with that is especially with dating apps in our modern world you know what we could especially in big cities like in LA or London you can go out every night of the week with someone different if you want you know most of the time but what that doesn't allow is for a point of reflection and in fact I think you need nights by yourself I think you need days off from dating weeks off from dating to really know yourself and then listen to your intuition because Mm -hmm. it's only when it's quiet around you that you can recognize the truth and stillness can be hard to get nowadays yeah like I, I use an app for that like yeah. I have a, a meditating app mm-hmm. you know it's like we're so hooked into all these different things and if you're seeing all these different people I could see because a lot of times it isn't like that I just knew right right like does love in f- at first sight do you think that that's a I think thing? you can get attraction obviously very strong sexual attraction at first sight I also find interestingly and this is just anecdotal from my own experiences I have, you know, I've gone through, I'm basically a recovering love addict, you know, so I would always find 
I would snap together with people who are love avoidant. So if you want to look, I, a love addict is essentially somebody who, you know, they've got a conscious fear of abandonment and unconscious fear of intimacy. And they kind of snap together with people who have the opposite problem where they have a conscious fear of intimacy and a subconscious fear of abandonment. So how that might play out is, you know, like attaching to a man who's inappropriate or who isn't ready to give you intimacy, who's you know cheating a lot or is deceptive or withdrawing and then you enter into like a weird cycle around that and honestly sometimes I've been at like huge parties massive events and I will draw like a magnet those people towards me in the room it's like you complete one another and it's as a result it's all about attachment styles and kind of what form of intimacy you're brought up with so another little thing is if you recognize that you always think you have like crazy or chaotic partners and you're like how do I keep choosing these people it's not that you were just extremely unlucky, luck of the draw, you picked a lot of bad ones in a row, not that there are bad people. It was actually probably something in you is calling out to that kind of person. And in fact, I think, again, this is a lot of the work I've done on myself and I teach, is about how to go back and actually do the internal fixes and the internal growth and change so you attract better partners. Mm, so they become catalysts for healing. Yeah, they can do. I think that actually the best, you know, I think it's good to reevaluate the whole thing. And instead of searching for good or bad people, it's to think, okay, this is my current circumstance. These are the people I'm attracting. How can I change within myself? How can I grow? How can I develop differently? How can I become more self-aware? Because that will, that's the one lever that will really shift who you get to meet. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm such a fan of your social experiments. I love how you just go out and... and uh, I'm going to get you on, right? In March. We're going to do it. Yeah, it'll be so much fun. I mean, I would do that all day long, every day if I could. It's just, that is such a cool thing that you do. And you do it so well. And there are, are numerous that really struck me. One, I would love to play a short little clip and then we can yeah, chat about it awesome. here. Awesome. Okay, so I have a massive problem with some things. And one of the things I have a major issue with is when women get judged for being sexy or sensual or exploring their sexuality and they get that horrible title, slut. Yes, I'm saying S-L-U-T, slut. Uh, I really hate that and I hate it not only because it's misogynistic and nasty towards women, but also for the guys out there, it doesn't help you either. If women are afraid of expressing themselves sexually, guess what? They're not going to want to have as much sex or be as open with you as they would be otherwise. So in a kind of a cause of banning this word and also seeing how people react to me differently I am now going to start to try and freak people out with just how sexy I am I love it so much so tell (laughs) us what you did to to show how sexy you were okay I it wasn't by being physically sexy what I did is I got I raided my like sex drawer and I (laughs) I guess all my own items uh like vibrators clitoral stimulation lingerie I packed it into my bag and I started dropping it in the streets of London or like putting it like vibrators on coffee tables and letting them roll off or letting it fall out of my handbag or putting them on the counter as I was paying for a coffee just to see like if a woman is literally just like wearing a badge of like I am sexually active how people would react to that and how did they respond uh, a mixture of ways. Some people ignored it. Some guy that I was chatting to asked me if I was a like a porn star. Effectively, I, I said I did videos, and he assumed they were like of a more risque nature. Um, also, I would say the interesting thing is I noticed it in the comments around it a lot. This is and this is interesting. People were saying like, "Well, she's not sexy enough to do that." What? Yeah, that was the main feedback that I got. Was like. Oh, because the type, the video on my YouTube is called like something like "Sexy Lady Drops Lingerie," or so it, it was yes. basically to it was in order. You know, sometimes you title YouTube videos to encourage people to click on them and to give a, a snip, snip, snippet of the concept. And what I was getting as feedback from that was like, she's not a sexy lady. I want a sexier one, which in itself is like, That's oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, it is. A yeah. It's it. like it's like, well, you know, it's OK to be sexual of a woman, but she has to be my physical preference or she has to fit this archetype of what I consider to be sexually attractive. That is amazing. And I think it's interesting, too, because when you're in person, you know, people weren't saying those things to you in person, right. but online people oh. are not filtered. And then also I think they're kind of taking out their life stress or something. They're trolls and whatever else. But they also sometimes say things that they think all the time, mm-hmm. but they wouldn't ever say. So I think right. it's important. I know whenever I get and I get like YouTube is the worst forum to have like crazy comments on that. And so it's always like. 
I'll do a video where I'm coaching a man and it's completely platonic and professional relationship and people be commenting like when are you going to fuck her or where are you going to bang her uh, on the on the comments me they'll be speculating about the colour of my pubic hair and without fail and I call every single one of them out if I see it I'll take them on because it will always be some nameless faceless person who doesn't, doesn't have their real name doesn't have a picture up they just use a cartoon and they're expressing their own frustration their own darkness and their own unhappiness towards often women and this is the forum that they do it on and the problem with that is they are inadvertently feeding into the system which creates all of these issues between how men and women are relating absolutely and i love that you respond because there's kind of a idea that i hear a lot kind of a not a rule but a guideline where people say just don't respond to the trolls and my feeling is always first of all it could be somebody who is lashing out anonymously and if you say something suddenly you're a person right okay I have a hilarious example of this actually that I've just remembered you know I said I went for dinner on Monday night with that pickup um, famous pickup artist Ross Jeffries I put a picture of us up together on Facebook it's like a normal picture like we're sat next to each other we're having dinner like Ross is a friend of mine like that's it and he he will agree with me Uh, and then obviously in the comments beneath it's like oh Ross the famous pickup artist Oh, age has no limits because he's a lot older than me. So like, and it was, and this guy wrote that down and I commented underneath it. I was like, does this picture genuinely look to you like a romantic interaction? If so, you're not very smart. You know, like that's what I put down. Then I go to Facebook the next day. He's put my comment in as offensive and a complaint. And I had my comment taken down on grounds of it mentioned nudity which it didn't he then private messages me on Facebook and says oh can you take that down because people will my employers might search my name and they might see that comment come up and I'm like right so my response has to be censored you're reporting Uh, my response you were the one that said something that was inappropriate that was sexual that actually was offensive and slanderous towards me and to Ross and now suddenly because you've taken a backlash you're worried about how you're going to be seen online I was like you are the most ridiculous in my mind I was like you are a ridiculous human <laughs> and expecting you to fix it for him too, right after like, he just slammed you right and I was like I was like and I was like what is going on Facebook that was yeah. nudity and I was like uh, oh so I'm just yeah. like that's, that's that I find a lot as a woman working in the sex dating and relationship space automatically there's an assumption i've been speaking to lots of women in la about this i'm sure you've experienced it as well which is because we speak about this that must mean we're totally sexually open to all offers or invitations or like i get asked oh you must be dating loads of people because you talk about dating and i'm like if you listen to anything i've said i've just done six months of celibacy and i actually advocate taking a really slow and meditative approach into this and i hate that assumption that if you're a woman if you're considered to be attractive, if you're working in sex and dating, yeah. immediately you automatically get attached to all of these other negative forms of right. your sexuality. People get really shocked to hear them in a monogamous relationship. Right. Like they f- f- freak out some of them. Not not in a it's, – it's like a surprise type thing, mm-hmm. you know, that how could you be sex positive and be so open and be interested in all these topics and not have to have, want to have sex with me is kind of what right. the underlying right. <laughs> right. Yeah. is there. And it's like regardless of what – our own beliefs are, you know, and I don't talk much about my own private life in my show or anything, but regardless, there's those assumptions mm-hmm. and these ideas that you're either, you have to be sexual in a certain kind of way. Like you have to either be hypersexual the way that a porn film would show. Right. Or you're the good girl, the quote good girl, you know, which is really And you know what? That division of female sexuality, I've been talking about this a lot. This has gone back a long time in history. So First of all, we, like, if we go back a little bit, we have Freud's universal tendency, which is for women to either be the virgin, virtuous one, or the whore. And actually, that's filtered down. And even if we go way further back than that, if we get look into ancient, not ancient Greece, it's actually ancient Athens, because Greece wasn't Greece then. Um, we have a practice where men would have a wife who was not allowed to leave the house, wasn't allowed to vote, but she had bore legitimate children to him, because she was obviously captive uh, and then he would have hetare which are courtesans women who would go out to drink and dance and party with uh, then he'd have porne which is where porn comes from which is a concubine or a sex slave uh, and, uh, and also homosexual relationships as well so really like this desire to categorize or chop up women according to how they're be- acting sexually within the world is something that goes 
way back in a Western cultural tradition. And I think what's actually cool is I've been reading a lot about this. I'm a bit of a history and book geek anyway. But I find it interesting how lots of our modern day conceptions that we hold around love, sex and dating, they're not even ours. They go back literally thousands of years and we're still wearing them and embracing them. They're like old hand-me-downs. And in fact, they're not serving us anymore. That is really interesting. I'm so glad that there's conversation about it now. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it has gotten in some ways better and worse like you said like it's maybe more complex it's not necessary it's how we approach all of these things and the mediums we use but the digital world has really yeah. changed things and right and the other thing I want to bring up when you were mentioning like your family and your upbringing like I had my nan on my most recent podcast so if you listen to like Attraction or Love HQ um, today that's who I'm interviewing she's 93 years old so I called the topic Love During the War and I actually asked her because she said straight up she's very direct she said I was expected to be a virgin when I was married like that was just like you couldn't get around that that was just like what was done and I said do you think that was a good thing or not to her and she's like no She's like, you've got to know. You've got to know who you're with. You've got to know what it's like. She's like, I married a boy. It's like, I married a man that I can sexually satisfy me. And she's she's so open and so amazing. But it's like, I had somebody there who came from that tradition, who was born in 1921 wow. or something, and explaining how those cultural attitudes... And it's funny how much, in some ways, our world has changed, and yet you can still see these hangers-ons to ways that were in the past. Wow. I really want to listen to that. Yeah, I love awesome. And the fact that we have access to communicate with people of generations through right. so much social change. Right. I was like, I'm getting the microphone out. Everything you're saying is gold, man. You know? And it's like, Aww. and I love that. Actually, again, that's also for, and I put it on there as well, kind of like as an anti-ageism thing, because I know that lots of people want to listen to a, like a sex or love podcast because they I think the presenter's cute or something. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. You're going to listen to my 93-year-old nan because she's got more sense to say. Oh, we can learn know? so much, right? I'm sure, from that whole generation. And exactly. I think... You know, you gain comfort, hopefully, with yourself over time as well. Yeah. And you know? also, like, that, what she was saying about um, the attitude people had coming back from the war, you know, that how that affected people's attitudes towards love dating relationships, you know, dating people and then them going off and getting killed in the... Go- it's like, if you, it's a completely different stratosphere of looking at dating relationships. And it made me reflect on how much things like the internet smartphones, our choice-heavy society has influenced our ability to be happy when it comes to love and relationships. Fascinating. I can't wait to listen to that. I'll share the link in my show notes as well so people can check that out. Before I let you go, I'd love for one of your top tips for anyone out there who's looking for their dream relationship. What's one thing that you would advise? Okay, I'm going to say the difficult thing, which is to do the groundwork first. Often you'll feel like the way to find love is to get onto like a different dating site or a different app or send a bunch of messages out or go on a loads of dates. Think of it as like, you know, like you have like yin and yang, you know, you have the action, but then there's also the reflection. And I actually find that often the meditative self-reflection part is what modern day dating advice is missing a huge part of. So I would look at your life. Is your life chaotic? Have you got a nice have you got a nice home space to live in? Are you on good terms with, you know, family and friends? Do you have supportive social relationships in your life? Is your health within your limitations as good as it could be? Do you feel on path with your career? Have you got things you're passionate and enthused about in your life? If you're getting a lot of no's in response to this, and I understand because life is hard, it's difficult to get to a space of yes with those things, but I would work on that first because that is going to give you the security, the identity, and the clarity to make Make the right choices in love. Ah, beautifully said. And I feel like that's advice that's universal. We can all learn from that. Right. You know, it's from the inside out. Yeah. You know, we're f- attracting what, what we're giving off. That's beautiful. I know you're also promoting uh, some events. Tell us about the Skirt Club. Right. So I'm, I'm also here out here with my um, really good female friend. Uh, she's my bestie. Uh, she does an amazing group called Skirt Club. It's a... I, it's, I, it's not a sexual party. What will happen is there's going to be a, a personal development talk, which I give, <laughs> then um, some burlesque performances, but the club is exclusively for women. And it's not for women who necessarily identify as lesbian women. It's women who are just curious and who want to explore their sexuality for a bit. And it's a safe space because it's completely female. It's And it's all about answering questions around sexuality and giving you space to explore. You know, if you want to kiss a girl or a bit more, great. But it also is asking women to to think about other areas of their life I'm 
leading an initiative with Genevieve, she's also asking women to think about entrepreneurialism, to think about business, and how just in all areas of our life we can take full ownership of our sexuality and our identity and express ourselves how we want and how we feel comfortable in the world. Um, I'm actually doing a talk for their Miami event tomorrow night, uh, if I manage to stay awake. <laughs> and then uh, the New York event is launching on the 4th um, of February, and you can find that out at skirtclub.com skirtclub.com awesome I'll put that in the show notes as well and how do we stay in touch with all of your wonderfulness oh uh, amazing uh, well of course please listen to my podcast if you want to hear my nan Attraction HQ and Love HQ um, for the guys out there if you want to get some free advice on I've written a cool guide about communicating with women if you go to hayleyquinn.com forward slash texting and for women if you go to hayleyquinn.com forward slash secrets I have kind of the anti-rules book which is about how whether you're flirting with a man or a woman how you can be more proactive and take charge of that I'm also on Twitter Twitter at Hayley Quinn on Instagram as Hayley Quinn X and very easy to find on YouTube I love it thank you so much for being oh, here no, it's been my pleasure thank you our next guest today is our beloved resident sex and relationship expert Dr. Megan Fleming who's joining us to explore such an important topic dwindling desire why it matters and what to do about it thanks for joining me Dr. Megan how are you doing today I'm doing great, and of course, as always, love speaking to you and Girl Boner. Awesome, awesome. Well, we love having you always, and this is such a great topic, and I know it's one of your areas of specialty, and so many people struggle in this department. And I know that it's very complex. Many factors can cause low desire, but from your experience, what would you say are some of the biggest or most common causes that you see um, of low desire in women? What I, what I love is the fact that you represent it is it is so complex and um, I think that that often can speak to the challenges and the frustration sometimes that women have even thinking that um, something can help them or that there's treatment options available because when it comes to low desire it's everything from hormone fluctuations you know it could be through during pregnancy breastfeeding it could be perimenopause menopause uh, which also speaks to sort of life changes it can also be medical issues, um, so many medical conditions, diabetes, you know, anything that's vascular, neurological, all these um, medical conditions, and then also, importantly, medications can have sexual side effects. So there's that whole range. And then there are, of course, the relationship issues, you know, like how connected and um, loving are you feeling towards your partner or have over the years or months, you know, sort of frustrations or resentments come in. Um, and then there's, of course, just life issues like fatigue and financial stress. So, you know, it's really a biopsychosocial approach, recognizing there's your physiology, there's your psychology, there's the relationship. There's so many factors, um, and really it's helping women to get really curious about their own experience to figure out for themselves in particular, uniquely to them, what are their own barriers, what's blocking their level of sexual desire and interest. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. One thing that I've heard from numerous women is that they have less desire than they would like, but at the same time, they sort of don't feel motivated to change that. It's almost like they desire to have desire to have desire. <laughs> um, how does that happen, or what are some of the complexities or you know ways to kind of go about managing that when somebody doesn't, why don't women tend to take action? I mean, again, it's a million-dollar question that every therapist <laughs> uh, would, would like to be able to, you know, kind of give you a gold standard for. But I think the part I'm hearing you say, and it's so true, is women want to want. You know, they want to feel uh, that physical sense of urge, that libido, that wanting. Um, and I think there's also the fact that they're not feeling it. And I've had so many women like, you know, if I never had sex again the rest of my life, I'm okay with that. And I'm like, nail to the chalkboard, like... <laughs> yes, yeah, I mean, because from where they're coming from, that feels true, right? If you don't have libido, I'm like, it's like a cold engine. You know, it's like you're not feeling frustrated. You're not feeling distressed. It's more like a should. And so in that case, it's like I really want to help women connect to how or why they got con disconnected, right, from what felt good about it. And, you know, I sort of mentioned relationship issues, but I think a common reason for low libido and desire is it's bad sex, right? It's either because people are inhibited and they've never embraced their sexuality and their sexual pleasure, or it just could be because your sexual life has become mechanical and routine or scripted, 
and it just doesn't sort of feel like sex worth having. Sure. You know, and in my experience, I've noticed that when I am really passionate about life, I tend to really be passionate in the bedroom and feel very easily turned on. And when I've been really down on myself or feeling lost in life, it's sort of it's really tangled up, I think, for, you know, in my experience for me, but I think it's also for for other women. Do you see that as well? Is it one of those things where if you work on improving your desire for sex, that does that extend into the rest of your life? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, we're talking sex, but it's also feeling pleasure in your body. Um, and it, it's just like, I think it's a God-given right, and I think it's, you know, that's our aliveness, right? Um, it's feeling fully present, alive, pleasure, like, you know, it's so much a part of our experience. But to your point, that if somebody's feeling down, discouraged, low self-esteem, body image issues, you name it, you know, it's like that just saps, saps, you know, the energy and the life out of even seeking or wanting um, something that feels good or could expand sort of your energy. So what are the first steps then? If you're, if someone's listening and they're thinking, this resonates with me and it all sounds lovely to have this passion, desire and all this, but how do I figure it out? How do I figure out what's going on in my own life? Well, I think a first big part of it is to recognize that we're sort of indicating you're not alone, right? You know, women, um, there are different studies that, you know, this quality you mentioned, um, whether or not they're bothered by it. Because some women are like, eh, I'm not feeling it, I'm okay with it, right? So, you know, to even get a diagnosis of what we call hypoactive sexual desire disorder, um, that means that you're feeling distressed around it. And the percentage of women that hit that criteria, um, Cheryl Kinsberg wrote a study, and, you know, it was fairly, I thought, a low number, 10%. Um, but another study actually said that in women in 30 to 50, the amount of women that at some point in the lifetime experience low desire is about um, 50%. And I think it's, first of all, to recognize there's something normal about life changes, body changes, stress, things that... Where, what's happening in your working career, so that the ebb and flow of, of desire. But I also think that it starts with knowing what's possible. That I think when women feel really stuck or like that cold engine, as I said, it's like it's hard to want what you're not, not even on your radar. So it sort of starts with in your mind, in your imagination, can you picture feeling sexual? Can you fi- picture that pleasure in your body? Can you picture the um, love and uh, experiences that you want to have with your partner? Because if you can't, I sort of call that foreclosure of imagination. And it's like, you know, it's like if you can't even picture it, then there's no place to go. Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. And, you know, that we might compare ourselves to media depictions, for example, and think, you know, there's some unrealistic standards out there if you've never experienced it yourself. So does it start from a sexual standpoint? Because you also mentioned bad sex can be a big part of it, which makes sense because you're not desiring something that you know is not going to be very satisfying. Uh, what do you do about that? How do you start approaching that, uh, knowing that you also have to then have that conversation perhaps with your partner? Well, I mean, I think, you know, I believe in sort of, knowing your sexuality and feeling empowered, you know, the expression I use is like keep your inner sexual pilot light on. So even if you're feeling quote-unquote bad sex or, you know, sex that feels boring, not worth having with your partner, first of all, it's like do you even know your own turn-ons? You know, I think in relationship so often we're finger-pointing, right? If only my partner did X, Y, or Z, I'd be aroused, I'd be turned on, or you know, and we're not looking at all the ways that we've already turned ourselves off or we're not taking responsibility and empowering ourselves to turn ourselves on. So I think that that is a huge window of opportunity to sort of start with thinking, huh, do I want to have a different, more vibrant sex life? And how do I sort of visualize and also think about what does that look and feel like? Because ultimately, to your point, it's like you have to create that conversation, and sex conversations can often be the most difficult to have, but the rewards can be huge. And it's really around helping your partner know what turns you on and what turns you off, right? And because, I, you know, one of the biggest turn-ons is feeling your partner's desire. So I think that if your uh, partner knew and had the roadmap of what got you aroused, I, I, I know few partners that wouldn't want to become expert in that. 
<laughs> That's really true. Yeah, and there's nothing like feeling wanted. I mean, as you said, it, it's it's incredible, and I think so many women that's that's what they're longing for. You mentioned uh, the rewards and imagining what's possible. Could you share a story or maybe a real example from somebody that you've met or worked with who could give us some inspiration kind of to show what is possible when you do this work? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, a common one that I see is, um, you know, it's a, it's a woman, um, and in this case it's somebody who she's been married like 16 years and she's got three kids and... Um, she's sort of struggling with some of her own identity because she stayed home with the kids and she liked to go back to work and trying to feel her value. And I think oftentimes she feels like her husband just wants her for sex and not for her. Like, she's lost the fact that for him, sex actually actually helps him feel more connected. And she's feeling sort of the pain and frustration of, A, feeling, like, overwhelmed, like everything's on her, she's running the household, it's one more thing to do, like, sex is the last thing on her mind. Um, and and she's lost touch with the fact that the impact of, A, she's exhausted and doesn't have the energy for it, but also the cost isn't just to her from um, what she may be missing out on from a physical perspective, but also in terms of the relationship and the connection with her husband. And I think in my experience and, and, and in this particular case, it's like when I always say that it's like what can come off your plate, Right. There's, I forget the the article in uh, the Atlantic, and it drove me a little nuts. Like women can't have it all. I'm like, mm-hmm. like, well, you know, you have to figure <laughs> out what's on your plate and figure out the portions. And no, you can't have it all all the time. But I personally believe that y- you can, and you got to figure out the priorities. And so, um, helping women recognize that, and in this case, when she sort of said no to some of the PTA stuff. And she said, you know, again, stuff that might make her feel guilty or might not be the good enough mother or the good enough wife. Like, but when she sort of filled up her own engine and did some of the self-care and had more to give, all of a sudden she realized that there was more in her to really miss the longing of that connection that she had had in the experience with her husband. And do you see that? Uh, what are the rewards like when somebody comes in after doing this work and they start making time for intimacy and they're starting to have desire, what are the changes that you see? Well, I mean, part of it's like an energy. And, and as you're saying, it's like another couple just crystallized in my mind where, um, you know, they're in their 50s, they have two daughters. And I mean, what brought them into treatment in common is a crisis, right? She thought he was uh, having an affair. It was just sort of a text that was an alarming. Um, but what happened was they realized because they weren't sexual, they weren't intimate, they weren't connected, they had become really so distant in their relationship. And she said to me, she's like, I can't even believe. And then she's somebody here in New York City who's like really connected. And, um, you know, she's just, she was just sort of blown away. First of all, she wasn't aware of how disconnected they'd become. And she couldn't believe how good it felt and how much progress they had made in less than a year to where they are now. And it was like she refound that person she fell in love with and her partner. And I was just like, and the impact is not only for them and their relationship, but what they're, that's also the gift that they give to their kids, right? For them to see a relationship that, you know, they go through the motions and make things happen. But that feels very different than one where you look across the room and you connect their gaze and you feel that energy, um, of sort of, you know, wanting, appreciating, respecting. It's, it, you know, the, the impacts of doing the work are huge. I love that. And I love that image of looking across the room and having that, that connection that you really feel because I think sometimes people have this impression that it fades away and there it goes. <laughs> you know, we've been together a long time. And, and I know studies show, too, that you can really keep keep those brain chemicals flowing and, and that there's hope. I think that's so important. And I think what you do is so important. And speaking of that, I know that you have a wonderful program that you're offering, which is fantastic for people who either you know, maybe they want to be working with a sex therapist, but it's not realistic for them right now, or they just want to be able to do something from the comfort of their own home. Uh, could you tell us about your your um, workbook and program you're offering? Sure. I mean, as you know, I've been 
sort of here being resident sort of sex expert and girlfriend owner and, um, you know, sex and connection and creating relationships with love is my passion. So this program, it's, um, it's an opportunity to sort of be a wake-up call and to recognize that we don't have to feel so stuck um, or alone. And so it, what it is, it's, it's a 60-minute audio and it's a 24-page workbook. And it really, I think it helps women identify, and as I say that, it could be men because I absolutely work with men with low desire, but it helps them identify what are their blocks. Like as we sort of teased out, this is a complex issue. It could be physiological. It could be medications. It could be relationships. There's so many factors going on. So first and foremost, it helps you understand and get really curious for yourself. What are my own sort of um, blocks? And then also, what are sort of those practical and strategic next steps? Um, because I really want to empower women to, I mean, I think the reason women don't access treatment, and um, we have the new uh, medication recently um, approved by the FDA, Addy, for uh, low sexual desire. And you know what? The prescriptions aren't coming in like they did for Viagra. And there are lots of reasons for that, um, not including the fact the black box warning that you can't drink alcohol, which I think helps some women relax. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> But I just think that 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 really speaks to the fact that so so many women, I think, feel hopeless or helpless that it could look different or turn around or they feel like they've tried it all. And so I'm hoping what my program really does is it practically gives great information and exercises that is that light bulb, that aha, that like, oh, here's something that I haven't done or haven't done consistently. And the how and the why that makes so much sense to invest in, commit to, and make happen. I love it. It's so exciting. I've had a look at the workbook, and I have to say it's it's awesome. It seems like a really empowering and fun and special way to nurture the relationship with yourself and then also to rekindle desire for your relationship. I think it's fantastic. And I know you're offering a, a special discount for Girl Boner listeners, which I love. Um, how does that work? So um, I actually want to make this accessible um, and feels like it's great value for your audience and, and um, so I'm offering a 30% discount and in order to get that you would go to my website greatlifegreatsex.com forward slash girl boner um, you go to my website and if you just did work with me or products you wouldn't get the discount so you have to do forward slash girl boner and then through PayPal it'll be the discount in the cart um, because I really would love to empower women and, you know, your book Embraceable, to embrace their sexuality and to recognize that there's hope and possibility. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. For more from Dr. Megan, check out the rest of her website and follow her on Twitter at Megan Fleming PhD. For show extras, my blog, and a whole lot more, visit my website, AugustMcLaughlin.com. To learn all sorts of ways you can better embrace your gorgeous sexuality, read my new book, Embraceable, empowering facts and true stories about women's sexuality, available on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. Thank you so much for listening, all, and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.